This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, April 19th, 2022. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is KUAF 91.3, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. On our show today, the Momentary's visual arts are kicking into high gear after two years of a pandemic. We'll have details about the spring season in the galleries in about 15 minutes. But first... We bring you a brand new podcast called Natural Election. This show is a production of Ozarks at Large and KUAF covering elections in Arkansas. Our very first episode is out today with a reminder that the first step to voting is, well, registering to vote. First of all, who's eligible to vote in Arkansas? You must be a U.S. citizen and an Arkansas resident who is 18 years old on or before November 8th, 2022. So... If you have registered to vote before that day, your local county clerk will provide you with what might be the best gift you can receive, the right to vote. So once you uh, officially become 18, you will uh, also officially become a, a registered voter in Arkansas. That's Josh Bridges, an elections systems analyst for the Arkansas Secretary of State. Another requirement is you must register to vote 30 days prior to any given election. That means if you're looking to register to vote in this year's primary election, which you should, you need to do that before April 25th. So you're qualified to be a voter in Arkansas. Now, how do you register? The only way to do that is to fill out a uh, paper form. There's a few ways to get that, of course. One way is by contacting your county clerk's office. So that's just what we did. Can I get your name and your title real quick so we can have that on tape? Sure, Joe Wester, County Clerk, Crawford County. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about what your job duties entail? What what does an average day in the life of Joe Wester look like? It's uh, (laughs) different every day. A county clerk does a lot of things, from handling voter registration, marriage licenses, quorum court details, along with a pretty sizable list of other duties as assigned. So every day is different for me. <laughs> but if we're talking about someone registering to vote. Yes. So we try to hit the schools. Joe says in her office, they have a deputy county clerk who goes to the local schools and works with the seniors who will be old enough to vote by the November general election. So if they turn 18 prior to, like, the primary, they could, you know, they could vote. But we try to get them registered ahead of time. And um, so we've got a real good working relationship with some of the counselors. When you have somebody go to the schools or you are interacting with people who are voting for the first time, what are some words of advice or encouragement you have for them? Well, um, I am not actually the one that does those presentations, but I can let you talk to Rhonda. Rhonda Robbins is Joe's right-hand gal when it comes to all things voter registration in Crawford County. And lucky for Joe, Rhonda is just a holler away. Hang on just a second. Hey, Rhonda, is there an online for voter registration? Can they go online and do it? Because we have to have that signature. Okay, yeah, they can go online and print out the application. But this- Joe is great at all, but I obviously wanted to hear more about Rhonda's experience going into the classrooms. I'm about to give you to Rhonda, okay? Okay, very good. Thank you. Uh, Okay, hold on.
Rhonda. Can I help you? Hi, Rhonda. I'm Matthew Moore. Rhonda you. says they go to high schools in the county, like Alma, Van Buren, and Cedarville. I usually take someone with me, and I'll introduce them, and we just do. We just tell them that we're what we're here for. We are there to register them to vote. And if if you have your driver's license with you, you can write it down. If you need your, if you know your social security number. Some students may be a little indifferent. We were all 17 and a half once. But Rhonda says she enjoys seeing the ones who get it, even at that age. What word of encouragement do you have to, um, to folks who are excited uh, to vote for the first time? Just show up with your ID. It is exciting because that is something new and different. That is, is something you've never done before. Unless you, when you were a child, you went in, you were able to go in with your parent and watch how they done it. It's, it's a, it's, I call it a duty. You know, it, it's a civic duty. Rhonda Robbins is a deputy county clerk for Joe Wester at the Crawford County Clerk's Office. Some of us may think of the library as a spot where you can pick up the latest James Patterson novel, but it offers so much more to its community. One example of that fits in neatly with the topic of this episode. The library is an excellent resource for registering to vote and getting more information about elections. Gretchen Allen is the assistant manager in the Circulation Services Department at the Fayetteville Public Library, whose job, among other things, is to be a guide to those looking to register to vote. It's super easy. So at our main desk in our lobby off of Mountain Street at the Welcome Desk, you can just come up there and ask to register to vote, and we'll hand you a form, and we'll provide you with a pen to fill it out, and we will even mail it in for you free of charge. You uh, must live in the county that you're registering in. So if you're someone who owns property in a few different areas, just wherever you call home, that's where you should register. Um, College students, they have the option of voting where they are originally from or voting locally. They can't do both, um, but it's entirely legal to vote in one or the other. A theme you will hear throughout this podcast is that voting is a right and a duty. And if you are a U.S. citizen and a resident of Arkansas, being able to vote should be something accessible to you. One of those elements of accessibility includes those who may not have an ID. So at the point of registering, you don't have to have your ID. It's just when you actually go to vote, they ask for a government-issued state ID or a college ID, actually. And if you don't have one of the accepted IDs, you can actually visit the county clerk's office after you receive your voter registration card in the mail, and then they will give you a voter ID. So it's really easy to get an ID to be able to vote. There's no residency requirements to vote. So if you're experiencing homelessness, you can register to vote. Naturalized citizens can register to vote. And even ex-cons who have had their sentence, parole, and probation all completed, they can register to vote. We talked a little bit about the, the barrier of an ID. What about language barriers? What sort of resources does the library have for someone whose first language may not be English? So we don't have as many resources as I would like. We do have voter registration forms available in Spanish, and we do have some staff members that speak Spanish 
and one that speaks a little bit of Marshallese, and we have a staff member that speaks French, one that speaks Farsi, and one that uh, speaks ASL. And so we do have some staff around that can help those folks. That's fantastic. What does the normal person look like who's coming to register? Are we are, are you seeing a lot of college students who come in and say, hey, I want to register locally? Are you seeing uh, people who may be experiencing um, homelessness? What's the sort of people who you normally see come into the library to register to vote? It's a whole variety. Um, a lot of times what happens is someone will come in for a library card and they're new to the area, or maybe they just need to access the internet or need a book for a specific reason. And then at the point that they get a library card, we ask them if they need to register to vote or update their registration. And so at that time, we give them the form to fill out. That's a little bit like like when you go to you know get a new driver's license, they will ask exactly. you, do you need to update your, your voter registration? Yes, except that you don't have to wait in the long lines that you do at the DMV. <laughs> <That's> very, <laughs> it's a lot quicker at the library. That's very true. <laughs> Do you feel that this is an underutilized resource of the library? Um, uh, to some extent, yes. We don't f- offer like a whole slew of services. It's just basically voter registration. But I think that a lot of people, it's more that they don't realize that they need to re-register to vote. Because anytime you move or if you have a name change, you have to re-register. And so I think that's more of the service that we can help make people aware of. So when you say when people move, let's say that I'm a renter and I move from West Fayetteville to East Fayetteville, I'm supposed to re-register to vote. That's correct. Okay. Yes, because that changes your precinct, your ward, your district, all that jazz. Um, And if you don't know what your precincts, wards, or districts are, you can actually go to the Voter View Arkansas website. And once you put in your name and birthday, it'll give you all that information which also uh, gives you the information about all of the polling locations where you can go vote, which is a lot less stringent than it used to be. You used to have to vote at the one polling location that is in your district or area, uh, but now you can pretty much vote anywhere you like. What excites you the most about these sorts of processes, of seeing people come in and become new voters? Like, What gives you hope or joy when you see these sorts of things happen? Well, I see the most excitement in people who have just turned 18 and are excited to vote. They kind of have the uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed kind of approach to politics, but also people who have recently become naturalized citizens. So I, I know a couple of people who have recently become citizens who have registered to vote, and they're just so excited to be a part of the democratic process, maybe because where they're from, that's not really a reality and how the government works. We've thrown a lot at you, so let's do a quick recap here. If you're a U.S. citizen and an Arkansas resident, you can register to vote. If you do not have a photo ID or a permanent residence, there's a few extra steps you may need to take, but you can still register to vote. If English is not your first language and you need some guidance, that's okay. You can still register to vote. And Matthew Moore, you said before we heard that piece that this is part of 
a natural election podcast. That's right. So we're going to have five episodes of the podcast leading up to the primaries on May 24th. We're covering voter rights, explaining the differences between the primaries and how to best work your way through the primaries and a whole lot more through the show. All right. The last day for people to participate in the primaries? That's right. The last day to register to vote in the primaries is Monday, April 25th. Uh, If you're looking to print out a registration form, you're looking to find out what your registration looks like, you can do all that. We've got links for you at KUAF.com slash election. Episode two next Tuesday? That's right. Episode two will be next Tuesday. KUAF Reengage is an evening for our community of listeners to learn more about the upcoming volunteer opportunities with KUAF Public Radio. We want to build a team of volunteers for KUAF events as well as to be a resource for our community partners. KUAF Reengage is a drop in event that's being held Friday, April 22nd from 5 to 7 p.m. For more information, go to KUAF.com. We're looking forward to seeing you again. Arkansas's 529 plan allows families or individuals to direct thousands of dollars annually from gross adjusted income toward a tax-free plan for higher education. Established in 1999, Arkansas's plan now has more than one and a quarter billion dollars in assets under management. This spring, the program was given a new name, the Arkansas Brighter Future 529. Fran Jansen, the director of 529 programs and financial education, says the new name reflects a widening of ways the plan can be used. For example, in 2018, we opened it up to where funds in a, uh, could be used for private school tuition, for K through 12 private school tuition. And then just last year, uh, it was changed to where now people can also use funds from the 529 to pay down their student loan debt. So it's just since there was this broadening in the application of what the 529 could be used for, it just was an appropriate time for us to say, let's take another look at how we've been promoting and branding the plan. The money set aside in the Arkansas Brighter Future 529 can be used for college, an apprenticeship program, or technical school classes. Treasurer of the state, Dennis Milligan, says a renewed promotion of the 529 plan works in tandem with a refreshed promotion of apprenticeship programs in the state. Welding school, plumbing school, electrical school, uh, Arkansans uh, and Arkansas, we really need, uh, we even, we need that even maybe much more so than just traditional college. So we just, as Fran mentioned, just wanted to open the door and, and just really let everyone look and see that there's some place for them in the Arkansas Broader Future 529 plan. The money saved in the plan does not have to stay in Arkansas, but can be used at schools in other states. Details about the plan and enrollment forms can be found at brighterfuturedirect.com. Treasurer Milligan says starting can take just 10 minutes and $25. You can add as little as $10 a month. You still get the, the tax benefits from a state perspective. A married couple can contribute as, as much as $10,000, single individual $5,000, and they get to take that off of their adjusted uh, gross uh, uh, state income. Not federal, but state. Fran Jansen, the program's director, says the rate of increased participation, assets have grown more than 120% in the past eight years, can reap benefits not just for families saving for education, but for the rest of the state, too. In the end, we all win. And I think if, if we are helping 
a group of people attain higher education and higher training abilities that can only produce uh, a better workforce and better financial well-being. So, you know, looking at the big picture, that would just help our state tremendously. The plan's new name does mean a new website domain, though the former web address redirects to the site. There is also a 529 app that allows for mobile management or allows for making of contributions. Accounts also have gift codes that can be shared through social media. So if a parent or a grandparent, especially with graduations coming up or birthdays, you could, quote, push that link out on your social media pages to encourage other people to make donations or contributions to the account. And those people as well receive the tax benefit. The web address is brighterfuturedirect529.com. Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families Annual Soup Sunday is April 24th, 4 to 6.30 at the Rogers Convention Center. This family-friendly event includes soup samplings, breads, and desserts donated from a variety of local restaurants and vendors. 927-9800 or aradvocates.org for tickets. The 2021 NWA Blues Challenge winners will be in concert Saturday, April 30th at Meteor Guitar Gallery in downtown Bentonville. This fundraiser features the Jeff Horton Band, Sky Pollard, the Downtown Live Wires, plus a silent auction and raffle. Sponsored tables and advanced tickets available at ozarkbluessociety.org. This is Ozarks at Large. The Momentary, a contemporary art space in Bentonville, opened with a bang in early 2020. It was a week-long celebration with music, art, and even the artists in Bandaloop performing a new show, Flood, on the outside wall of the gallery. Momentum from that first month may have been slowed by the pandemic, but the Momentary was never silent. And the plans for the rest of 2022 are plentiful, from the musically-packed Fresh Grass Festival to visual arts inside the galleries. Last week, we talked with Caitlin Garcia-Maestas, associate curator at The Momentary, about the spring lineup of visual arts. It includes a solo show from artist Esteban Cabeza de Baca called Let Earth Breathe and the exhibition A Divided Landscape, featuring the work of seven artists. We asked Caitlin about the shows and about the differences from a curation point of view between a solo show and an exhibition featuring art from multiple artists. So, for example, Esteban's exhibition will include sculpture, site-specific painting indoors, site-specific painting outdoors, site-specific sculpture outside, as well as a series of acrylic works on canvas. So really like the visitor's experience in that show, I feel is going to be quite incredible because you're going to walk away with a very complete understanding of his work and all the different ways in which he's working with his materials. A group exhibition is also an a wonderful way to tell a story in that you can select works, in this case with a divided landscape, that are very focused on a conversation, that are very focused on themes like colonialism, like uh, you know, myth- mythologies around landscape, representations of landscape from you know early American paintings. Um, and then you can select works from artist practice that really help you tell a specific story and more of a narrative. Um, So that's how I I think about the two. But of course, there's many ways to approach a solo exhibition or a group exhibition. The great thing about Esteban's uh, exhibit is that with the site-specific works, this is, and I love this idea, it's a a once-in-a-lifetime. You're not going to... 
I mean, not that that any other exhibit at the momentary will be repeated anywhere, but this one with site-specific works, this is this is your chance to experience it perhaps ever. Yeah. And, you know, I think with his exhibition specifically, he was also really inspired by our campus. So he came for a site visit last year and got to spend about a week in Northwest Arkansas and connected very much with the region. And as a result, you know, his proposal for this show came out of that experience. So all of the work in the exhibition was really informed by time that he spent here in Northwest Arkansas. One of the works I'm the most excited about in the exhibition is a site-specific bronze sculpture that is it's two figures. It's called Host. And the figures have embedded pots for plants within them. And so over the course of the next several months, visitors will be able to see this living sculpture grow and come to life. We'll be growing native plants that are very specific to this region. Um, and, you know, we'll have almost like a garden that will exist around this sculpture. So not only is it like a once in a lifetime here at the momentary, also the time in which you experience the work will be very specific um, for every visitor. But the idea that, that art is more, it's not static. Whether, whether it's an exhibit that has something growing that changes or not, the fact that how, where you are as a person when you see it, who else is in the room, it's a, it's a very living, breathing sort of phenomenon when you go to a gallery like the Momentary. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think, you know, one of the most exciting parts about being here and working at the Momentary is we get so many visitors who are approaching the work from their own perspectives. And it's always really exciting to hear about visitors' experience you know, where they're coming from, where they're approaching the work or the themes that we're exploring in the exhibition, and then their takeaways. Um, and I think that's just more broadly the power of contemporary art is it starts conversations and really facilitates these important dialogues that we're all having in our, you know, contemporary lives. And then, you know, bringing it into this space, you're able to sort of create a visual context for these larger discussions. What sort of conversations do you have with yourself or your colleagues about not just the excitement of being able to create an exhibit, but the responsibility? It's a great question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a great responsibility. It's also a great privilege. Um, I feel very blessed to be able to work with pretty incredible artists who have their own perspectives and their own ways of telling stories. And so often, you know, all of these shows really start with a conversation, oftentimes in an artist's studio and looking at work and really connecting on our own experiences, but how those experiences can be shared by other people. And so I'm very excited by the idea of working with artists who want to include community and who want to include various perspectives within their exhibitions. I think it's important to not just bring work here from another place and just let it exist as is. I think it's important to create work that becomes a platform for dialogue, that becomes an opportunity for other people to connect and engage. And a divided landscape. I mean, not that Esteban's won't, but a divided landscape is, is going to stir so many internal and external conversations, I would imagine. Yeah, I hope so. You know, I'm from uh, New Mexico. I'm from the Southwest. I know a lot of people here are from, you know, the South 
or, you know, Midwest. And so even within the conversations I've had with colleagues and community members, we all have a very specific experience with landscape or even the memories of seeing landscape paintings, right? If you're from the East Coast and you grew up going to the Met and you saw paintings <laughs> that were of the West or of a different place, um, you know, there's quite a bit of mythology and these sort of narratives that are built around these these old landscape paintings. And depending on your experience in those spaces, they might feel real to you or they might feel like a farce. So I think that that's what's exciting too, is there's going to be a lot of um, myth telling and myth breaking within the exhibition. When creating the installation, right? What work is going to go where, how it's going to interact with others. Do you you use pen and paper? Do you use like a CAD program on computer? Do you use your mind's eye? A little bit of everything. Um, We have a fantastic team of exhibition designers at the Christopher Bridges and the Momentary who help us shape things in digital files. Um, But beyond that, you know, I know our building very well. I've been here since 2018. So even before we were open to the public, I was walking around, you know, in a hard hat and vest trying to understand how these galleries might function. So I have a pretty clear idea of what things might work in certain spaces. But of course, when artists come on site and we always try to have uh, any artists we're working with a momentary, if possible, we'll invite them to come and do a site visit before an exhibition. And so they also have their own ideas and some of them will respond more to a specific space. Um, In the case of Xaveria Simmons, who's an artist part of A Divided Landscape, she came and did a site visit and really responded to our upper mezzanine floor, which is kind of tucked away in the gallery. It's two floors above the main floor, the main gallery space, excuse me. And, um, And that's where she decided she wanted to make her installation. And so you know, part of it is my responsibility. And um, we also always collaborate with artists. And, you know, even our installation team, they often will inform certain decisions. So it really is a collaboration. Caitlin Garcia-Maestas is Associate Curator at The Momentary in Bentonville. Esteban Cabaza de Baca's show Let Earth Breathe opens Saturday, and the exhibition A Divided Landscape will open May 14th. But wait, there's more in 2022. We asked Caitlin for a brief preview of the fall visual art exhibitions. One is um, the largest sculptural installation that Fidele Baez, who's a very well-known contemporary artist, she's also in the Crystal Bridges collection. It's the largest sculptural installation she's ever made. It's coming to us from ICA Boston. It was at their um, satellite space called the Watershed last year. That project will be coming this fall. And we'll have a sound component. It's immersive, large-scale installation. And that's really the direction that the momentary is hoping to continue to go, is is bringing artists in to have these really magical, immersive experiences that often will include components like sound. So beyond just painting and installation, we're also going to have these sort of multi-sensory experiences. Similarly, we're working with an artist who's from Chicago, Yvette Mayorga, and her installation, she is going to be frosting the galleries. She's very interested in confectionery labor and her mother was a baker in Chicago growing up. And so a lot of her work references um, confectionery techniques. So she has a very specific painting technique that she uses in which she pumps out paint like it's frosting. So she will be frosting the galleries. (laughs) We're going to have a water fountain that will be installed within the galleries and several of her new paintings. And this will be Yvette's first museum solo exhibition, which is exciting for all of us. It's always 
fantastic when you can bring an artist to the momentary and allow them to dream big and, you know, invest in their work and show it on such a large scale. You can learn more at themomentary.org. Five student organizations at the University of Arkansas Fort Smith will host an evening festival tomorrow night to celebrate Asian American and Pacific Islander culture. The festival on the UAFS campus green from 7 to 9 p.m. tomorrow evening will feature authentic Asian American and Pacific Islander cuisine and games. The festival is being staged by the Hmong, Vietnamese, Japanese, and Filipino student associations at UAFS and the Cultural Network. The event is free and open to the public. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Penguin Ed's Barbecue, open for curbside pickup seven days a week at Mission and Crossover in Fayetteville, and open seven days a week with dine-in, patio, and curbside pickup at the historic B&B location. PenguinEds.com for menus and more. This is Ozarks at Large. With me is Catherine Sherlds, who is our militant grammarian. Welcome back. Thanks. Kyle, when you get to be an adult, especially one who has worked with words as long as we have, you come to know some words you really don't know. Oh, fair. Yes. In preparing for this discussion, I was surprised that many of the words I thought I knew but couldn't really define begin with the letter P. Hmm. Now, it pains me to admit it because there's a chance you'll know the definition of all of these. Uh, but, for instance, okay. what does picaresque mean? Not picturesque? Not picturesque. Picaresque. Picaresque. I have no earthly idea. It means relating to rogues or rascals. So, if someone is picaresque, they're sort of... Often in fiction. Uh, Often in fiction. It sounds like something Charles Dickens would have used. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. And, of course, we don't mean the commonly confused word picturesque, okay. which means... Well, a beauty or... Yeah, attractive, visually attractive. Visually attractive, mm -hmm. right, sure. Okay, how about this one? What does picayune mean? It's something small. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's but probably... That's enough? Close enough, okay. yeah, of a little value. okay. I think one of the reasons I didn't know the definition is that I've mostly heard the word as part of a Pulitzer Prize-winning yeah. newspaper, the Time, New Orleans Times-Picayune. And so to say it was of little value goes against the grain. Well, I wonder, because obviously Times-Picayune has been merged at some point in mm -hmm. the past, so mm -hmm. I wonder if the Picayune newspaper started as something like just little items. Well, it was. It started as the Picayune, uh -huh. just alone, uh, in 1837. But that was the price of the newspaper. Oh. In the 19th century, in Louisiana and other southern states, a picayune was a small coin, specifically a Spanish half real with a low monetary value. How about that? So it costs a picayune. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. I learned this P word several years ago and was going about correcting people who used it wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what does peckish mean? Faint with hunger. Hungry. Yeah, that's right. Uh, peckish comes from the word peck, the verb peck, which a bird does when it bites with its beak. It basically means hungry enough to peck at some food. I always thought of it also being so hungry or weak. I feel a bit peckish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's usually used that okay. way. Yeah. I had been correcting people who used it to mean irritable, hmm. which I thought was just like totally off. Sounds like it. Yeah, yeah well. You know. 
I know certain people who, when they get hungry, uh, yeah, can yeah. be irritable. Uh, there's a new term for that. You know the new term? Um, uh, hang- hangry. Hangry, yeah. 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 Well, that's why I'm feeling irritated because I can't find anyone online who is as unhappy as I am that the word is also listed now to mean irritable. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> you are hungry for a correction. Yeah, I am. Okay, so here's a P word I seldom use but love to say. Mm-hmm. Kyle, what does peripatetic mean? Oh, what does peripatetic mean? I hear a lot. I I'm, know. These are words that you know. Right. I don't use but it, though, don't because know. I don't know. That's right. I, dictionary. Uh, I always go to the dictionary. Yes. It means going from place to place, itinerant. Huh. He lived a peripatetic lifestyle. Okay. A nomadic sort yeah. of. Okay. Yeah. Peripatetic. Okay. Here's another pair that some folks might mix up. Palpable and palatable. Okay. Palpable. Palpable is, um, gosh, how would I... See, that's the problem. Yeah. I'm just describing it. Palpable means it. This is not correct, but you're on the edge, or it's something that's almost there on the fringe. Mm-hmm. It's no. Mm-hmm. I'm on the fringe of knowing <laughs> what it is. Hey, the the direct uh, definition is able to be felt by tactile examination. <laughs> so he palpitates, you know, your stomach. Oh, the doctor does. Okay, uh, but it's also used as. I, it just gave me a palpable feeling that okay. something was wrong. In other right. words, uh, uh, intangible but almost tangible. I, yeah. mean, I, think, I think that's yeah. the way we use yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then palatable means? Uh, desirable or to the tongue? Pleasant to eat. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah. acceptable. Um, and then, of course, there's potable. Well, you want potable water because mm-hmm. that's drinkable. Mm-hmm. D- if it says, what's the opposite, unpotable? I don't know. Or not potable. No, probably just not potable. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't want that. Mm-hmm. Right. Here's one that I would definitely look up before using. Parsimonious. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> You're making me feel so good. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I've heard it, but I don't yeah, use it. I know, yeah, I, I know it. Uh, it means excessively unwilling to spend money. Oh, mm-hmm. boy. We could have been here for hours I and I wouldn't have come up with no, that. It, it, it looks... Uh, vegetative to me, like parsley or something. I don't know. Parsimonious. I would have thought, I, w- I was thinking sanctimonious. Uh-huh. But Probably there's a, a link yeah. back there somewhere. Okay, how about penurious? Penurious. I don't know. Means parsimonious. <laughs> okay. All right. Very good. Um, but the first definition of a, a penurious is a person who is poverty-stricken, which hmm. should explain why he is... Parsimonious, un- unwilling to spend because oh, he doesn't course, have right, it. Right. Yeah. I first read this P word in a song in "Cry Me a River," made famous in 1955 by Julie London. Mm. The word is plebeian. Thought that love was too plebeian. Thought that you were through with me. And great rhyme. <laughs> and now you say you love me. That's part where plebeian comes in in "Cry Me a River." Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. It means, what does it mean? What does plebeian mean? Uh, I'm going to, uh, one of two ways. It either could mean common mm-hmm. or less. It's kind of an insult, right? Yeah. You're not of the upper crust right. of plebeian. society. Yeah, yeah. Plebeian. One of the common people. It comes from being one of the general citizenry in ancient Rome as opposed to the privileged patrician class. Uh-huh. 
Here's one I use a lot, and I think many people don't know its meaning, judging from their weird blank stares. Mm -hmm. But they don't ask. The word is prescient. Right. (laughs) Um, Forward thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The power to foresee the future. Mm -hmm. That's the adjective. The noun is prescience, spelled pre-science. Oh. And if you know that, and that the word science comes from the Latin word meaning to know, mm-hmm. you just look at it logically. It's pre-knowledge. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Most of us know this word, Kyle, but I bet few of a, few people can spell it right. Well, I know I can't then. What about prerogative? It means a right reserved exclusively by a person or group, but how does the spelling begin? What's the P? <laughs> Good guess. Uh, if I were to be typing it on my laptop, and here's the thing, I'm a horrible speller. <laughs> I'm going to go P-E, P-E-R. Mm-hmm. But, it, you, but do you know that it's P-R-E? I do not. I know. It's crazy. Until now. It, isn't it crazy? I didn't know. We did a, huh? We did a piece on it you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I ever discovered huh. it's a pre pre prerogative prerogative. Huh? Isn't I did not know that. Or if I, I ever knew that, like, I forgot. Like it I'm again. saying, I bet. Yeah. Ninety percent of people would spell it P E R. Yeah. Because hmm. that's how we pronounce it. Right. Its origin has to do with ancient Romans voting at legal assemblies done by a group, and who got to go first. Okay. That's where the prerogative comes from. Okay, Kyle. I know you know this P word. We are now on the penultimate P words in our discussion. Next to last. Yes. And as we also have learned in the last couple of years, there are words that go before yeah. penultimate. <laughs> Crazy enough. Anti-DC <laughs> penultimate or something, yes. It's the one bef- it means the one before the right. ultimate or the last. The prefix pen means almost, almost last. Over time, people started to use ultimate to mean the best or most exciting thing around. Oh, that's the ultimate experience. Right. That doesn't mean the last. (laughs) Then they started to use penultimate to mean extra awesome. And I will go with you on this frustration because there's a reason to have the word penultimate mean next to last. Yeah. Yeah. We use it. Yeah. Yeah. But it isn't correct to use it meaning extra awesome. No. But it is becoming accepted. (laughs) My ultimate P word uh-huh. is a word that Bob Douglas used during a mid 1980 interview with him for a story for a short lived regional publication called Oak Leaves. Mm-hmm. The story was about how the Arkansas Gazette, before its purchase in 1991, saw Northwest Arkansas as a poor relation. Douglas said, Douglas, who of course used to be the editor of right. the Arkansas Gazette, said he thought my story was parochial. Parochial? Oh, see, this is one. I love the word, but I mm-hmm. rarely use it because I don't mm-hmm. think it's – I'm just sort of in this nebulous world with okay. parochial. Is it like uh, I'm wrong? I have always thought <laughs> it was sort of condescending. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. It is condescending, but in what way? <laughs> um, help me out here. Somehow, I faked my way through the conversation without the slightest idea of what parochial meant, except some biblical reference that I didn't know really either. I looked it up again for this discussion, seeing as how it was 35 years ago, and I've likely never used the word myself. 
Uh, it means trivial or only concerning a local area. So what he was telling you then is he thought that the fact that people in Northwest Arkansas were concerned about how the Gazette thought of them. Yeah, it's trivial. It doesn't mean anything. Just worried like about their own the local. Gazette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, a person with a parochial mentality is narrow-minded mm. and not open to new ideas. Mm. Mm. Uh Pretty harsh criticism from someone who would eventually hire me to teach and with whom I often enjoyed conversations over lunch about how English grammar was on a dangerous downslide. Mm. I miss you, Bob. Our Middleton grammarian is Catherine Sherlds. The Rave Cultural Foundation welcomes NWA Chai Time, the third Sunday of each month. These family-friendly get-togethers will feature a sponsor expert sharing knowledge on topics such as gardening, writing a memoir, and more. Events are free, but registration is required. ra-veculturalfoundation.org for more information. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions, presenting Little River Band in concert at the Auditorium in Eureka Springs on Saturday, May 7th. A limited number of reserved seat tickets are now available online at tickets.thundertix.com. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellens. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio is Pastor Clint Schnackloff, lead pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Fayetteville. Welcome back. So glad to be here. Last time you were here, you had you mentioned that you were reading books. You kind of been inspired to read books that had connections to Ukraine. That continues with this next recommendation? Yes. I brought you this little tiny orange novel. Um... Kaharlik is the title by Ohe Shinkarenko. Okay. Now, this novel, this is crazy. Um, so, uh, Shinkarenko is a, um, I guess you could say, comic or absurdist science fiction novelist. Okay. And he uh, had published some stuff. Um, this would be back in the 2010s when the previous prime minister was in power in Ukraine. Before Zelensky. Before Zelensky. And he published some stuff that ran sideways of what the, like the police and, you know, whoever wanted to control the press wanted out there. And so was arrested. And um, he believes that that group even came in and... Um, hacked into his blog and deleted some of the content of what he was publishing oh my goodness. to kind of suppress what he was writing. So as a strategy to circumvent that kind of um, control of what he was publishing, he decided to publish his novel as a series of 100-word posts once a day on Facebook. Oh, my goodness. Now, this is... If you know the kind of the history of, like, say, science fiction in Russia and Ukraine, this is super common for a long time because novelists in all of the Eastern Bloc under communism had to find ways to publish that would get around the... Circumvent the totalitarianism. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they did. You know, they found ways to... They, some of it was just coded, you know, like it would look on the surface like it meant one thing, but really underneath it meant something else and pe readers would understand. Other times it was literally like they would send the letter out, you know, like or the novel out in letters you know, over a period of time and they would get published abroad. 
So this is like the modern example of that. And so it's actually formatted that way in the novel. You can see each uh, Yeah, there are these section. paragraphs on each white piece of, on white page, yeah. Right, and each paragraph is numbered. So the, there's not page numbers in this novel. Instead, each paragraph is numbered. So there's the first 100 and there's the second 100 words. And so he called this a hologrammatic novel. Because if you're going to publish 100 words a day, um, it becomes less important for it to be kind of narratively consecutive in quite the same way. And instead, imagine like, um, you know, if you're looking at a hologram, it's, it's three-dimensional. There's pixels here and there's pixels down here. And you have to kind of assemble the whole to then make sense of, oh, that's the whole image. And so that's the way the novel kind of functions. When you first start reading it, you know, that takes a little bit of work. But he's really good. So within you know, say 1,000 to 2,000 words, you're really starting to get a sense. And by the time you're about 10,000 words in, you're like, whoa, this is really something. So there is some required literary novelty here. How does it hold up as a novel? Okay, well, as a novel, it's just, that's why people are such huge fans of it. I mean, you have a fan base big enough to actually, you know, run a Kickstarter and pay for a translation. That's unusual too, right? So the basic idea of the novel is... That so this is in the future. Um, the the premise is that there was a Russian invasion of Ukraine. And Ukraine was taken over by Russia, and this was written before, obviously. Yeah, yeah, the invasion, right? Mm-hmm. Right. This is well before this this invasion. So fast forward, uh, both sides invented things for the war that had impacts on the way the future is. Um. The Russians used a lot of nuclear weapons. Um, they also used more advanced weapons than just nuclear weapons, and some of those did odd things. One of the things that their bombs did is there were places where the bombs stopped time. Interesting. Kaharlik is one of those places. The Ukrainians uh, uploaded people's mental state or their brain or whatever you want to call it into these constructs or AIs. And so there are people who exist who aren't human anymore, but are still the personality that, you know, that they were. But that process is fragmentary and not always completely successful. So therefore they're missing like memories and things like that. And then there's a kind of a pursuit of wanting to reclaim those memories. And so the this one, the 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 basic thing is that the main character is trying to get to Kaharlik so that he can reassemble some of the memories that he's missing as this construct from the future who's based on the actual human from the past. And if he can get to that location, he can reclaim the stuff that's from that actual past. It's interesting because the the book you described last time here, The Orphanage and this, kind of indicate what it's like to live in a region where you're worried about there's either conflict going on at the moment or you're concerned about it beginning at any moment. And the existential crises of memory and self that can exist in that sort of lifetime. Right. Yeah. Um, And then the other kind of fascinating piece about this book is it hints at, without fully constructing, you know, this is not like a big space opera book where it fully 
So it's it's more like suggestive, you know? And so you have these suggestions of things that really spark the imagination. My favorite suggestion in here is that one of the things that becomes popular in this future are five-dimensional di- five novels. What is a five-dimensional novel? Do we know? Does it tell us completely? It, they, they talk about it a bit. And a five-dimensional novel is um, a novel that's written in five dimensions, which only these um, AI kind of constructs can accomplish because they only have, they're the only ones who have the capacity to do, the, do that. But nobody can actually read a five-dimensional novel. You can only read three-dimensional printings of a five-dimensional novel, which means anytime you read a portion of the five-dimensional novel, you're reading a three-dimensional novel. And every time you read the three-dimensional printout of a portion of the five-dimensional novel, you see a different thing because a five-dimensional novel goes past, you know, also sure. time, space, other dimensions, etc. No, that I, I think I get it completely, what, what you're saying. Yeah. But what's wild about that idea is that means somebody could create something that you could not ever know the whole thing. That that manages to be sort of a side part of this novel that has just 30,000 words yeah, is and pretty a, amazing. It is pretty amazing. And there's tons of suggestive stuff in here beyond just that. So there's the geopolitical things. There's the... Um, the uh, the approach to writing this novel, you know, his, his method. And then, yeah, it's, so it's, it's really fun. I, it's the one, I'll reread it, I think, a couple of times because, because it's hologrammatic. There's stuff I know I missed. I have to reassemble it now and go back and read it again because... And it is spelled K-A-H-A-R-L-Y-K. That's correct. Kaharlik. Kaharlik. By Ole... Uh, Shinkarenko. All right. A holographic novel. Clint Schneckloth, thank you so much. Thank you. Clint Schneckloth is lead pastor <laughs> at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Fayetteville. The Momentary presents Fresh Grass Bentonville, Friday and Saturday, May 20th and 21st. This bluegrass and progressive roots music festival welcomes Emmy Lou Harris and the Red Dirt Boys, Dispatch, Amos Lee, and more. TheMomentary.org for tickets and information. This is Ozarks at Large. And this is the incomparable Ruth Brown. One of the great side effects of the opening of the exhibit, A Cast of Blues at 214 in downtown Springdale, which is a collection of resin cast masks of blues greats like Ruth Brown. One of the great side effects is that we can play a few of our favorite artists to remind you about the exhibit that's been brought here by the Music Education Initiative. The exhibit is open to the public from 10 to 5, Monday through Saturday. Ruth Brown is a fascinating artist. She's a Tony winner, a Grammy winner, and she was inducted into the National R&B Hall of Fame.
Another Hall of Fame, the Arkansas Women's Hall of Fame, will recognize new inductees in a ceremony tomorrow. Arkansas PBS will live stream the 6th annual induction ceremony tomorrow night at 6.30. Among those being honored in the class of 2022, Dr. Margaret Louise Sermon Clark, mentor and teacher, longtime philanthropist Dorothy Morris, and the late Carolyn Pollan the longest-serving woman in the Arkansas legislature. The Northwest Arkansas-headquartered Hispanic Women's Organization of Arkansas is being inducted in the organization category. And bringing our conversation full circle, also in the Arkansas Women's Hall of Fame Class of 2022, is a member of the National R&B Hall of Fame, Sister Rosetta Tharp of Cotton Plant. You can watch the 2022 Women's Hall of Fame induction ceremony on the Arkansas PBS YouTube channel. Whether you listen for a few minutes a day or a few hours, whether you're listening for hard news or something less serious, when you listen to NPR and KUAF, you're trusting us to be part of your day, to curate the news and information that's important to you. This is Steve Inskeep asking you to help KUAF continue to be the source that you count on. Visit supportkuaf.com. To become a sustaining member for the very first time, or if you've given before, consider increasing your gift, because now more than ever, we need your help. Thanks. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Savoy. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors today included our militant grammarian Catherine Sherlds and Pastor Clint Schneckloth. Our theme, The First Raw, is written and performed by Daryl Sean. You can find out more about Daryl wherever you find out more about music and musicians online. And you can listen to us by asking your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. After you do that, you'll hear the most recent daily edition of Ozarks at Large. We also have a daily podcast that lets you listen to any of our material when you'd like. You can find all, all of our podcasts, including Ozarks at Large, through your preferred podcast services. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks so much for being with us. We will be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 with another brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. Oh, and a quick reminder that you can always also listen to us by using the free KUAF app that's available for iPhone and iPad. It's free. Just go to the App Store and download it. We also have archived editions of Ozarks at Large there. Back tomorrow with another brand new show. Talk to you then.